What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 148 on this Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. It is OU Texas week. Josh Calloway in Oklahoma City. Ryan Chapman and more. John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? I'm battling through a bit of a cold here, but I'm I'm trudging on. But it's OU Texas week. It's the biggest week of the regular season. Here we go. Let's see what happens on Saturday. You sound like you better not have COVID because if you have COVID, you can't go to the game Saturday. And then Ryan will be off, down on the field all day. So our coverage plans could change. You got to get that swab, man. Ah. I'll I'll uh, bring an extra can of sunscreen down to Dallas just in case. Just in case. That is a harsh sun in Dallas. There's no game hotter. It's the middle of October. The high is only supposed to be like 80. There's no game hotter than the OU Texas game. It's oh, it'll be 100. Well, Don't worry. It'll, it'll be 100 on field. That's what it, what it always mm-hmm. is. So say, whatever it says it is, add like 20 degrees at least. So, um, but yeah, looking forward to that. OU Texas is, you know, I said it yesterday on the wrap that Hoove and I did on allsooners.com. Records, throw them out the window in terms of it's still, it's as good as college football gets. Uh, very excited for Saturday. It's, it's the best. So, it's not exactly the the cushiest cover for us. The Cotton Bowl is not convenient in almost any way where it's located, where you have to park, where the press box is, how to get to the field, the field temp, all of that. The, the photo room, like everything is like bottom tier in terms of convenience, but it's still the best because it's just insanity and there's nothing else like it. So looking forward to Saturday. We'll, of course, preview that game a whole bunch here coming up in just a minute. Let's first go ahead and start how we usually do. We won't talk about it long. But finishing touches on the TCU debacle, um, have have moods changed on it at all since? Because we have our post game show, which is pretty much right after the game. Obviously, we do post game, we do some other stuff, but it's it's the same day. We're still at the stadium. We haven't watched anything back. We haven't even watched highlights hardly yet, and that's our initial gut you know gut reactions to things. Anything that's changed, I guess, since you had time to look back at it, feel worse about it for Oklahoma, maybe a little better. I don't know. How do you spin about it, uh, you know, kind of a few days later here? Well, yeah, well, the players and coaches have been spinning that it's just five to seven plays, three to four plays here or there. Um, yeah. Nothing wrong with the culture, nothing wrong with the effort, nothing wrong with the attitude. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, run fits that didn't happen or you read something wrong or fixable mistakes, right? That's what we're led to believe. Um didn't look like we felt that way on Saturday night after the game, but that's the report out of uh, out of Norman this week, the first two days of the week, Monday and Tuesday, when we talked to him at the press conferences and interviews. So I, I don't know if I feel any different about it, but clearly after taking a closer look at it, the team does. Yeah, uh, and you heard that, you know, Brent Venables, and this wasn't Brent Venables saying, like, look, guys, we're really close. Like, it wasn't that. Brent Venables basically said, like, this isn't really worth anything because of how we played, but 40 of those plays is for three yards or under, right, that they held TCU to. problem is TCU ran, like, 80-something plays, which means that half of those plays you failed. And on six or seven of those plays, you failed miserably. And it's the second week in a row we've heard mental errors, technique stuff, all that. Which for me, I felt this way after the game and watching it back, I feel the same. Like that's worse for me that like you're four to five games in, depending on if you're talking about after K-State or after TCU, and you're still having mental errors, technique issues. Like you're not even getting to the point of talent or where can a Todd Bates elevate the defensive line play? Where can Britt Venables and Ted Roof elevate the linebacker play? 
because they aren't even in the right gap or they're not playing the right side of their man. So for me, uh, I feel worse, frankly, because that's not stuff that's going to get fixed in in five or six days. I think Texas is going to put a gaudy point number on the board because of it. Yeah, I I definitely, I feel probably about the same um, for Oklahoma. I mean, after the game, it was, we said in the wrap, right, that there was no positive spin to really put on it. And I still feel that way. I mean, if you're going to do it, it would be like we were just saying. And, Ryan, you noted it in the postgame wrap after the game on Saturday. How many yards was it on sixth place? 300 and something? I yeah, mean, it, 340, it was, basically. It was a lot on just egregious errors. Now, if you really can truly fix those, then, yeah, I mean, it can get a lot better really quick. But I don't have any reason to think that they will get fixed, I guess, is really the best way to put that. So we'll see what happens, uh, you know. Ted Roof had probably the funniest line of the week. He's talking about, you know, we don't have any coverages that have guys run 20 yards behind us. I mean, the the mistakes were brutal. And we said that at the time. Guys wide open. I mean, Max Duggan scrambling for 70 yards. That should never happen. You know what I mean? So we'll see if they can button it up. Um, I talked about a lot last week before previewing the TCU game. I wonder where the confidence level was. Well, that confidence has got to be in the dirt now after what TCU just did to you. So how they bounce back on Saturday when you're going to need, and we're going to talk about the quarterback situation in a second, when you're going to need a good defensive, you got to hold Texas to 20 or less probably to have a shot. So good luck after what we've seen the last couple of weeks, especially Saturday. So we'll see. Definitely don't feel much better about it if you're Oklahoma. It was really ugly. And uh, we'll see how they bounce back from it, how they respond. So Sooners tumble all the way out of the AP poll um, as expected. They still got two votes, which is hilarious. They got one vote. The guy voted on twenty fourth. Yeah, so they got two points. <laughs> Shout out that guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> for, I I want to have it. We need to DM him, have him on. Like, so what? I, I looked for him on Twitter because I was curious as if he's someone that does like a here's my top twenty five and does you know like a paragraph blurb on just why he ranked everyone everywhere. Uh, he's a TV guy in Connecticut that is a, per his Twitter bio, admitted UConn basketball fan. And most of his stuff he was tweeting about on Sunday was not even coverage of the Washington Commanders, but just broadcast views and him just being mad that the Commanders stink. So I, I'm not sure that uh, Oklahoma should feel really great that uh, that is your one champion in your corner to to keep you ranked right now. Yeah, so Oklahoma falls all the way out of the poll. TCU and Kansas and uh, Kansas get up in there, so the Big Twelve is just totally janky right now. Baylor's not ranked either, so Baylor, OU, and Texas all not ranked. Arguably, that was the three favorites coming into the year, and TCU, Kansas, and Oklahoma State obviously firmly in there, and Kansas State um, firmly in the rankings for now. And uh, OU gets to have Kansas come to Norman next Saturday. I don't know what to expect with that game. We'll talk about that a lot next week, obviously. But yikes, yeah. right now for Oklahoma on that, uh, on that. Um, front. That Oklahoma is three and two is not a huge shock. I mean, it's a little bit of a surprise that they're unranked and that Texas is unranked for the first time in this game is since 1998. Who were the coaches in 98? Mac Brown was a rookie and John Blake was still coaching at Oklahoma. It's also the last time Oklahoma lost three games in a row. So we may be going down history lane here, guys. We may be going down memory lane to uh, recount a little bit of history this week if they lose to Texas. It's pretty amazing that it's been that long since the two teams were both unranked, considering how how much of a mess Texas has largely been um, for a lot of that. So the it kind of honestly speaks a little bit to more Oklahoma that they're just 
at this point in the year, they're usually still in the mix. Just you know, to kind of not be in the mix on October fifth right now is uh, different, and we'll see if they can turn things around. You know, Marvin Mims has talked a lot about the fact that they, you know, in twenty twenty, they lost two Big Twelve games in a row, pulled that out against Texas, that crazy game, and then they kind of took off from there. Could that happen? Maybe I don't know. I mean, different situation, obviously, but uh, we'll find out. So let's talk about the the big story, obviously, right now that every Oklahoma fan wants to talk about and is curious about, which is the quarterback situation. Brent Venables didn't give us any injury updates, so we don't know anything about anybody. Um, but it feels very comfortable to say that Dylan Gabriel is not going to play on Saturday again. He hasn't been ruled out, but. It would be it would be shocking. Uh, it would be very surprising to me, at least. You guys can speak for yourself. Um, if Dylan Gabriel played, he had a pretty bad concussion, especially in today's climate. Coming around the Tua stuff, which I think does matter, um, it just it would be really surprising to me if Dylan Gabriel played on Saturday. So your three options, essentially, according to Brent Venables, at least, are Davis Bevel, who we saw doesn't really work, General Booty, who is a meme but can play a little, maybe, I don't know, and then the freshman, Nick Evers, who we kind of all agreed should be like nowhere near the field this year. It should be a development year for him. But he may be thrust in there just off of pure necessity on uh, Saturday. So my question to you guys is, pretty, you know, who would you go with? And what would be the strategy to trying to move the ball on Saturday? Breaking news, guys. Um, Oklahoma is getting reps to three quarterbacks this week. Did y'all hear that noise? Just a little uh, sound like you're in the car for a second. Yeah, that was weird. That was uh, coming out of my laptop. Um, anyway, breaking news: the Sooners uh, are going to are, are repping three quarterbacks at practice. Uh, I have it on good authority. I'm getting this word live from uh, out of Norman right now. Um, they rep three quarterbacks at practice every week. Breaking freaking news: they bring three quarterbacks to road games. This is a home home game for them, so they can bring as many as they want. But yeah. Uh, the fact that Oklahoma is actually getting snaps to, to guys to three guys in practice should not be a surprise to anybody because one of their, their starting quarterback currently is not taking snaps in practice. If it was Dylan Gabriel and three guys, that might be breaking news. Uh, but no, of course, Nick Evers is getting work. Of course, General Booty is getting a lot of work. And of course, Davis Bevel is getting even more work. Yeah, it shouldn't come as any shock. And look, um, I totally understand the reaction from the fan base of you saw Davis Bevel for a majority of that second quarter, all the third quarter into the fourth quarter. And it looked ugly in Fort Worth. So if, if you want to lob the, why is it general booty getting some run? What does that look like? Fine. I don't understand where this Nick Evers needs to start thing is coming from guys. This isn't a, there were three quarterbacks on campus in the spring and all that's like, it was Dylan Gabriel and Nick Evers and OU for the entire spring. Those coaches, their evaluation, every time they talked to us was basically, we need more quarterbacks. We can't let Nick Evers yeah. be the backup. We can't <clears throat> do it. They went out and they got not one, but two guys in the portal, two guys who have never started at this level. So Oklahoma said, we need someone to be the backup so bad because this kid's not ready, which is not a knock on him. Like He's just a true freshman. Like true freshman, That's not yeah. a... Yeah, it's not a Nick Gavers is doomed, all this stuff. He's just a true freshman, right? And Oklahoma went out and said, we would rather have not one, but two guys who have never started this level to make sure that Evers doesn't have to be that guy. So that 
And again, that's totally fine, but I just can't see in any stretch of imagination where from the start of fall camp to now, Nick Evers has made such a massive jump that he's ready to not just start, but start an OU Texas game. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I get it. Like Bevel, it wasn't sexy. It wasn't pretty. Just put that to bed. If if Nick Evers plays outside of it being a total shock to me, it'll be because Bevel was really bad for the first two quarters and it was a screw it. There's nothing else to throw in there. But you're going to see Bevel for at least a half, I would imagine. And the strategy needs to be you cannot play tempo. You can't do it. If OU goes in and plays as fast as they've played with Davis Bevel at quarterback, Texas is going to score 100 points. Because te- Steve Sarkeesian is not calling off the dogs. He's not Sonny Dykes in it and, and doing anything like that. Yeah. This is his chance to bury Brent Venables, to bury Oklahoma. This is his chance to say, see, we actually have it turned around. And uh, that the way the defense has played, which has been awful, and the way the offense had played even before Dylan Gabriel at TCU, which was awful. Um, if you're running at that pace with Davis Bevel, unless he just – getting one week of work made all the difference. Like that's a suicide mission. So Oklahoma's got to slow it down and say, okay, if we get a first down and we want to try a tempo on that snap, that's fine. But they've got to find what works for Davis Bevel and slow things down to give themselves a prayer of just shortening this game. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think that Oklahoma's best shot is to run the ball, work the clock and try to limit the number of possessions total as you, as any underdog pretty much goes into a game hoping to do. And that's what Oklahoma is. They're an underdog, big one, on Saturday if Dylan Gabriel doesn't play. It should be more than that because we've seen nothing without Gabriel that suggests that they can move the ball. And the defense has struggled so much the last couple of weeks. So limit the number of possessions, shorten the game as much as you can. And I do think that they'll end up starting Davis Bevel, but I think there will be a quick hook. I I think that if they get a quarter half in and they're still sitting on zero – they might move to booty or, or whatever. I think that's probably how this goes. But I do think Bevel probably winds up starting, even though, again, we haven't seen him a ton, but based on what we saw in Fort Worth, and, I mean, the it seems like they they have pretty much close to no shot to win this game with, with Davis Bevel, unless, you know, a week of being the guy all week, knowing he's starting, really makes a big difference, which is possible. But, you know, I don't know. Offense is – it's going to be really hard for Oklahoma this week, obviously, to move the ball at all if you don't have Dylan Gabriel. I mean, that's obvious. Well, two things. I think we should give Davis Bevel the benefit of the doubt for uh, being the guy for an entire week, being the guy who's at the front of the game plan, front of the meeting room. He doesn't have to stand in line waiting for Davis or waiting for a, a Dylan Gabriel to get eight snaps so he can get his two. Um I think he'll be better because he'll be more prepared. He'll be mentally in a place where he can step in and be the starting quarterback. He he showed in the bowl game when he came in off the bench, uh, once he got settled in, uh, he was, he was prepared for that role. He was prepared to take on that, that much duty, uh, as the backup. Now he hasn't been necessarily prepared the same to this point. Uh, Dylan Gabriel has been the starter. He's taken almost all the snaps, uh, even in the blowouts, he didn't come out till late. Um, so, the question becomes how prepared was he last week going into the TCU game that week of practice? How prepared did Jeff Levy get him for that role to be able to come in? If something happens to Dylan, I need you to be ready to go because, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you more snaps in practice this week. I think Dylan played poorly enough in those, in those earlier games that it's my guess. I don't have any inside information here. I'm not being fed live via Norman, uh, the information, 
it's my guess that because Dylan played poorly in those earlier games, at least relatively poorly, uh, that they made an emphasis on getting him more work in practice. And when the emphasis kind of, you know, extra emphasis manifested itself, maybe in some missed throws, some hurried throws, some bad footwork, whatever you want to call it. But it also manifested in a probable lack of um, practice snaps for Davis Bevel. I think if Davis had gotten more practice work last week, maybe he would have been better prepared to come in and do what he did. Uh, it didn't look like he was prepared for that role. You know what I'm saying? He, he came in and his head was on a swivel and he was he didn't know where to go with the ball. Their blocking was good. The pass protection was good. He was back there looking around, looking around, looking around, indecisive, didn't know. If your first read, second read's not there, it's time to go. You got to pull it down and get off to you know start running or take the check down or something else. He didn't know what to do. And that makes me leads me to believe that they didn't spend a lot of time practicing him, drilling him during the week. Yeah, and, and he also, the, the Peach Bowl, he had the added benefit of he had been in that pit system, right, for, for three years. So even though he was the third string and then elevated to the second string for bowl prep, it's a lot easier to make that connection on a, a short kind of you're not really prepared to go into the game when you do know the system in and out, right? He held the ball like crazy. All three of his sacks, I think, were on him for holding the football. Yeah. And I asked Jeff Levy about that on Monday was, hey, look like he, he was not had that, you know, quarterback clock in his head rolling. OK, I understand that takes time, but all you've got this week is Davis Bevel staying in a blue jersey. There's no pressure on it. Like he knows he can't get hit in practice. How do you make that you know connection where he's going to be on pace this weekend? And they talked about just, you know, putting him in those situations. I imagine uh, it'll look a lot like Jeff Levy just standing right behind him screaming, get the ball out, get the ball out, get the ball out. But um, we'll see how well Jeff Levy can prepare the game plan around a backup quarterback, right? And how well um, they, they can kind of get that going. Because we saw small sample, but in last year's Sugar Bowl when Matt Corral left the game, Ole Miss had no answers, right? That, that Ole Miss offense against a really good Baylor defense – stuttered, looked terrible, barely moved the football. You saw exact same results with Jeff Levy having to pivot to a backup quarterback, which is a very, very tough thing to do. So now he'll have a whole week to kind of shape the game plan around him. Let's see what, what Jeff Levy can kind of cook up for him. Hey, we talked about it after the game in Fort Worth on Saturday. Some really random Texas quarterbacks have come in there and played well and even won the Texas game. Maybe Oklahoma can – return the favor on Saturday with Davis Bevel uh, or General Booty if he gets in there or what. Um, Texas has found a way to do it. This game is wacky. You get into the heat of it, the flow of it, crazy things happen, big momentum swings happen. Remember last year, Turk at the punt get blocked. I mean, things like that can change games. So we'll see. It's going to take a it's gonna take a lot. But if uh, Dylan Gabriel is out, which I'll think he will be, I think Davis Bevel's probably the guy, and then they'll go from there. So it's going to be uh, – Interesting to watch. And again, didn't mention, or I, I mentioned earlier, Brent Venables didn't give updates on anybody. So we don't know about Marcus Major, um, who he said did miss the game with injury. Uh, we talked about that after the game on Saturday. He, I was told he practiced all week, but obviously something happened at some point that kept him out of the game. So he didn't play on Saturday. We don't know if he's back. That's certainly important. I mean, Javante Barnes looked really good in his absence, but you like to have all three if you can, especially when what we're talking about here, you're going to run the ball a lot probably. So um, that's a key uh, key one to watch as well going into Saturday. You guys think that they'll announce a starter? 
like a, some kind of a release, or are we going to go into Saturday just kind of waiting to see who's who's back there? No, this is the perfect opportunity for gamesmanship. Um, yeah, I think so too. He did, he, he did say that Davis Bevel was the first guy off the bench uh, Saturday at TCU. That's been the case all season. He's the backup quarterback. He'll start. Uh, the question, guys, I heard a conversation coming home from the from the uh, studio today. Um, the conversation was if. Dylan Gabriel can practice on Wednesday, then he should be able to start. If he can practice on Thursday, then he should be able to at least suit up and play. That's not the conversation we need to be having. That is not in the realm here. The question is, is when does he come back? It's not this week. You don't, if we learned anything from Tua, it's that you don't get your Hawaiian quarterback hit in the head and bring him right back into the game. Uh, that's what Oklahoma would be doing. The difference being every four days later, uh, Tua and, and Dylan, obviously both from uh, the state of Hawaii, but yeah, that's just, you can't, this, this is not the week. Uh, maybe like three weeks ago, two weeks ago, you might consider something like that, but with Tua bringing concussion protocol and failures by medical teams to handle their business, make a educated determination, review the video, that whole breakdown puts concussion protocol right here, right in front of everybody's eyes. You can't escape it. When your when your quarterback or anybody yeah. else has a concussion now, you can't play around with it. And uh, the NFL's being raked over the coals. The NFL's changing its its uh, concussion protocol. The Miami Dolphins medical team's being raked over the coals, des- deser- deservedly so. Uh, and Tua, people are saying, "Hey, what did what did you really was that really a back issue?" You know, no, it wasn't a back issue. You don't lose consciousness while you're running and start to fall down because your back spasms up. That's crazy. So, uh, listen for Oklahoma's sake, for Dylan Gabriel's sake. I hope he sits out. I hope he. Uh, takes it easy. I hope he gets himself well and comes back when he's ready and fully healed from what is a traumatic brain injury. Well, and on top of that, we've seen before, like, okay, there, there's a difference between it's third down, your quarterback gets hit, his head kind of bops back against the the ground. He comes over to the sideline and then the next drive, he's not out there and everyone's going, oh, let's find the replay, all that stuff. Oh, they might be a concussion protocol, precautionary. There's a difference in that and getting a late hit directly to your head that leaves you laying on the field for two or three minutes, where then, you, where then you go to the injury tent for at least 10 minutes before they take you to the locker. Like there, there's a sliding scale of severity with concussions. We don't know a ton about brain injuries, but that's kind of been put out there. And when you look at Dylan Gabriel versus just a, he fell down and bumped the side of his head. Now let's give him the test. Like, this does not seem at any stretch of imagination to be on the minor end of what the concussion scale would be. So uh, Oklahoma's going to rock with a backup quarterback in our likelihood. And and like we said, um, may have got the names kind of mixed up, but Case McCoy's won an OU Texas game. Hurd and Swoops have combined to win an OU Texas game. Uh, and that's when the talent disparity was a lot larger versus how Oklahoma was playing and how Texas was playing. Uh, This is not a juggernaut Texas team. They're very talented offensively. They've had flashes defensively, but Steve Sarkeesian is still the head coach. Yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. And yeah, I I mean, I agree with everything you guys said. I I don't think, like I said at the beginning, it would surprise me a lot 
if Dylan Gabriel was playing on Saturday. I really think the conversation is more: Does he play against Kansas? Because I don't think that I think that's far from a given as well. I mean, I think he might be out until after the bye week. Um, so we'll see um, how that shakes out. But Oklahoma fans are holding on for hope for Dylan Gabriel to play this weekend. You know, you can keep that hope, but I, I don't think that's I don't think that's where we're headed. Like I said, it's really more a question: Does he play the next week? Against Kansas might be uh, more of a, a conversation than than certainly on Saturday. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll preview this game a lot more in detail. What do we think is going to happen? What does Oklahoma have to do? What have we thought about their comments this week? We haven't even really. We didn't really do a whole lot of the whole like Red River memories thing with Brent or anybody because this this we're kind of in a mess of a zone. But we'll talk about all that good stuff coming up next right here on the All Sinners Podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the all-star service program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the all-star service agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this. If your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pro's price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pro's 405-639-9991 or Check out their website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a fan nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated network all right segment two oklahoma texas the red river showdown this weekend in dallas it's gonna be fun like i said at the top it's as good as college football gets last year's game was absolutely insane the crowd was insane the game was insane marvin mims recalled that this week we were a great story about that if you want to check that out on allsooners.com i don't even know where to begin with this because there's so many storylines going in there always is for you texas anyway but especially this year with the the direction of the two programs the state of the both coaches who are still obviously relatively new to their program. Sark hasn't been there that long. Is this just his second year or third year? This year two. Second time. Time is mush right now. Second year for Sark. First year for Brent as head coach uh, in this game, obviously. Initial thoughts, I guess, on what Texas is. I think they're the hardest, one of the harder teams to figure out. So far this year, three and two. They open the year. They have some nice women. I mean, they, they crush you on Monroe. They almost beat Alabama on what was the moral victory of the decade, basically. Everybody sang their praises for a loss at home. Um, but they did keep it close, which nobody thought they would. I guess Alabama. Quinn Ewers goes out. They beat UTSA. They lose to Texas Tech in overtime. And then they romp West Virginia, all with Hudson Card. We don't know who's going to play this weekend. It sounds like Quinn Ewers is available. But it's going to be a question, A, Hudson Card's played pretty well. B, do they feel like they need to use yours to beat this Oklahoma team and this Oklahoma defense? And then, you know, just see, is yours healthy enough to be a full go? So those are the questions that we don't know. So we don't know who's starting for Texas either going into this game on Saturday. But I guess just initial thoughts on this game and what Texas is and, and how much of a challenge is it going to be for Oklahoma to, to find a way on Saturday. 
Yeah, Hudson Card's playing really well right now. Uh, their most impressive win might be the West Virginia win, 38-20. They're coming off last week. Um, lost to Texas Tech the week before that. You know, didn't really take care of business early against UTSA, um, but they did pull away late. Yeah, what is Texas? Uh, Texas right. is a, a gifted um, team, offensively, skill position players. Watch out for Xavier Worthy, 261 against OU last year including 75-yarder on the first play of the game uh, on a slip screen. So that's how good Texas is. Texas has the ability to do that to anybody, uh, but especially to a defense that's struggling like Oklahoma's struggling right now. That's something that um, Oklahoma, Brent Venables, Ted Roof, Todd Bates, those guys, they got to go into this game knowing that this t- this team is explosive. They're capable. They've got, got re- winning to downfield. They've got receivers who can do a lot of different things. And, of course, they've got probably the best running back in the country in Bijan Robinson and a really good backup in Roshan Johnson. Now, who's the quarterback? Yeah, that, we don't know. But, like I said at the, t- at the top, Hudson Card is playing very good right now. And um, the better quarterback is sitting on the bench. So, I, if I'm Oklahoma, i got my head on a swivel, man. There, there's going to be longhorns coming at him from every direction. Yeah, and frankly, it doesn't really matter how good Hudson Card is because Adrian Martinez is not any good, and he came in, he looked like a Heisman Trophy candidate. Max Duggan's been bang average his entire career, and he was even better than Adrian Martinez. Uh, For this year, at least, the days of making every quarterback you play look like a Heisman Trophy candidate appear to be back uh, as they've played uh, two offensive lines that aren't just paper mache because, sorry, Casey Thompson, but he was just under assault the entire game. On top of that, they're playing the best wide receiver they've seen all year. They're playing the best running back they've seen all year. Um, and I think that the offensive line has been surprising and that it's not elite by any means for Texas, but considering how pieced together it's been, it's been okay. I, I think the one thing we do know is the defense, while not great, is better than it was last year. I think it's clear that that's a unit that's at least made some improvements, which uh, contributed to a lot of their collapses last year. They still had the collapse against Tech where they were up, what, 31-17, lost that game and it yeah and, uh, they weren't helped by their most reliable player Bijan fumbling right there in overtime but this is a team that put a ton of points on the board last year in this game there's no reason to believe they shouldn't put a ton of points on the board this year in this game barring turnovers and for as little or much as that defense has improved on the other side they're facing an Oklahoma offense that's limping in without their quarterback that didn't look elite and buttoned up even with their quarterback. So uh, this is a massive, massive test because obviously with the emotion of the game, we saw Texas has played one uber emotional game this year, Alabama, they got up for it. They'll be up for this one. And uh, if that defensive line plays anything like they did against Alabama, uh, this is going to be ugly. How low is the confidence level for Oklahoma defensively um, going into this after, after what TCU did to them? Which was even greater than what Kansas State did to them the week before. Do you want to get you know all the guys you just said, B.J. Robinson, Roshan Johnson, Xavier Worthy? I mean, this this is the best skill talent that they've seen, and Hudson Card's playing pretty well. Quinn Ewers, in the little bit we saw this year, looked pretty good. If he's the guy, I mean, is there any hope for Oklahoma defensively in this game? I mean, or is it just kind of you're gonna have to hope for some big turnovers, or you know, I mean, what what's the recipe? I guess for Oklahoma to to slow Texas down, is there one? Or is it just kind of, they're cooked? <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. You mentioned it earlier, Josh. The recipe is uh, control the clock offensively, minimize Texas's possessions yeah. by running the football and throwing short passes. 
slowing down that tempo. Jeff Levy's nature is to put the foot all the way to the pedal and put the pedal all the way to the metal and smash it down and go as fast as you can. You can't do that when your defense is on the ropes like Oklahoma's defense has been. So that's, a, that's as Brent Venables mentioned, um, I think it was Saturday, a recipe for disaster. Uh, an offense that can't stay on the field and a defense that can't make plays or is having having catastrophic busts. He said the words, a recipe for disaster. And he did say that, by the way. I double-checked. Um, yeah. But you've got a, a receiver in Jordan Whittington who's co-leader on the team with 21 catches. Jatavian Sanders is a tight end who's got 20 catches right behind him and uh, Whittington and Worthy. Sanders as a tight end, 6'4", 240, 50-pound tight end. He's a guy that can absolutely eat up the middle of the field. Think about what Kansas State did with their tight end uh, and how you know they didn't have uh, massive big-time receivers and massive big-time running backs uh, running everywhere like Texas is going to have. They did have Deuce Vaughn. They did have Malik Knowles. But Texas has better overall skill position players than those guys, and the tight end was still getting wide open. So um, that's another scary aspect of this, this offense. They, the defense has got to, when the opportunity comes, Make a tackle. Uh, when the opportunity comes, cover a guy. When the opportunity comes, turn around while you're running with a guy and bat the football down or make a play on the football or try, find the football. Uh, we saw them doing that on Monday night after practice. So they've got to make plays when the plays are there to be made and then also eliminate the catastrophic 60, 70, 80-yard touchdowns because Texas will do that to you. You put all those things together you've got a chance. Oklahoma's doing what Texas has done for a decade, which is saying, you know, in this game, you can throw out the records. Weird stuff happens in this stadium. Uh, It's one of those really fun games for that reason. Uh, Because on paper, there's no reason Oklahoma should be in this game. There's On paper, there's no reason this should be a two-possession football game uh, from what I'm seeing. And let me ask you guys this. This is something I genuinely don't know, but with all the questions asked of Ted Roof and Brent Venables this week about the scheme, right? Do you need to simplify it, do anything else? And they basically both were pretty defiant. Uh, Ted Roof said, when we got here, we evaluated the personnel and we only implemented the stuff that we thought the personnel could do. Brent Venables said, we're going to be multiple. We got to teach to be multiple. With all that being said, on the other side of the football, do either of you have faith that Jeff Levy's going to eat the clock? I have none. I think that Jeff Levy's going to come in and say, this is our offense. This is what we do. It doesn't matter if it's Gabriel or Bevel, and they're going to try and run it quickly. I've got no faith that Oklahoma's going to take the step back and say, I get that's our identity, but situationally it doesn't make any sense. I think we've seen Levy uh, adapt to what's happening on the field. We saw it in the Kent State game maybe um, where there were a couple of one-minute possessions that were three and outs and a couple of one-minute possessions that were touchdowns. And he looked up and realized we're getting lapped. We're getting tripled on time of possession. I probably need to do something. And so they came out, ran the football, had a, a three and a half minute possession or a four minute possession, whatever it was. He showed the ability to adapt. And now what he needs is Brent Venables boot up his ass to say, hey, slow it down. You know, he's the boss. Brent Venables is the boss. You got an offensive coordinator. The offensive coordinator has to do what the head coach says. So if the OC is out here going tempo, 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 and the, the, the defensive coordinator is going, guys, we can't keep up, the head coach is going to step in and tell him what to do. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny because it was. After that Nebraska game, the conversation was so heavily about the complimentary football and how well the defense fed off the offense, offense fed off the defense back and forth. And it's like 
the polar opposite, especially on Saturday, where quick possessions leading to touchdown busts and then quickly another three and out. You're right back out there. It's like you have to have that harmony. And you saw that a little bit early in the year, especially against Nebraska, and that has abandoned them completely the last uh, couple of weeks, especially obviously uh, in Fort Worth on Saturday. So seeing how that shakes out and if Jeff Levy can adapt is going to be important because, again, I mean, you're not going to have a guy, whether it's Bevel or Booty or Evers, you're not going to have a guy that you're going to say, go out there and throw it 40 times and win us this game. That's not that's not on the table. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to adjust and, and play to the fact. Oklahoma's not often, again, I know it's only seven points that like we said earlier, but like Ryan said, there's no reason this game should be close. Oklahoma is a huge underdog in reality. If you're if you're watching these teams and you know what to expect, it's going to take a lot for Oklahoma to win. So Oklahoma has to play like that, and they don't normally have. When when is OU ever a huge underdog going into a game? Not often. So, Levy Venables they have to go in with that almost like little school mentality of like we got to do everything we can to keep it close and hope that we can pull it out in the fourth. You know, so that, that we'll see how that looks. What have you guys thought of of Brent and the coordinators and the players this week? You know, their their reactions to how Saturday has played out. Because it's been kind of weird, I guess, at least from, from my perspective. Um, you know, just kind of the way that they're reacting to all this negative. You know, after so much positive, all this negative the last, uh, you know, couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, you're right, Josh. I've noticed some body language on the parts of Levy, uh, Ted Roof, and, and even Brent. Um, some body language, some... You know, you ask them a tough question and they give you one of these, kind of puff their chest out a little bit and bristle their back. Uh, we, I've just, I've seen it. You know, you see, you, you trust the information that your eyes give you and my eyes are giving me that information. So um, I think there's something there. I think there's something to it. And I think that um, it's a, the, they're finding the, the, a bumpy road is a difficult drive. Uh, so they're having to kind of get a little bit out of character from the, when there was no games being played, there was no losing going on. There was no um, records being set defensively or the, the team's not going 70 yards for a touchdown every, every other play. Uh, it was easy back then. It was easy when it was just training camp and it was easy when they were three and O to answer those questions. So I, that's, I think you're spot on. Yeah. Brent definitely seemed to be a bit more, I don't know if fiery is the right word, but a lot more energy to his Tuesday presser, which had been lacking all season long, frankly, right? Like we, we had noted that from UTEP week before they've even played a game that his Tuesday presser was much more quiet, composed, just different, but uh, sure as hell don't ask about Jaron Canick. That's what we learned this week. <laughs> I don't know what's up with that kid. Uh, yeah. Ted roof. Ryan asked him about Ted roof and, and roof really pushed back on that one. He did not like that. So, uh, hey, you're, you're right. their, I think they've all shown moments of, you know, why are you asking me that you jerk? Not, not that that's coming out of their mouth, but like I said, you read yeah. the body language and read their facial expressions. Jeff Levy finished his, his question to me about, uh, RG three talking about his, uh, Dylan Gabriel's mechanics breaking down. He finished his question to me. I was on the far left side of the room to Jeff Levy's left. And he was looking over here to the right. Like it just, he turned like he turned his back to me or something during the question. It was, it was really kind of bizarre. And then I asked a follow-up question and he, he answered that as well. I mean, to these guys credit, listen, let's, let's give them credit. They're going through some really difficult stuff. Uh, personally, professionally, whatever you want to say. They're fully as men, as human beings and as families and everything else, they're fully invested in this thing. So to have it kind of back up like it's like it is, 
and pop in their face, so to speak, um, and then show up. Uh, th- listen, this is why they're paid the big bucks to co- to coach well, to find answers when they're not, and then to provide answers when things go bad. Okay, um, this is why they're paid the big bucks. But I feel for them. I, I I have a little bit of sympathy for the fact that they're going through something right now as a staff that the, a first year staff. You don't usually step into to things like this at a place like Oklahoma. Yeah, certainly have no problem with it. Just a, a different edge. Like it's it's yeah, noticeable. There's a different edge. There have been a couple of times where you could tell, like especially Brent, you could tell he really just wanted to brush off a two or three word answer to the question. And then the awkward silence that he came back and said, well, I better fill that silence with a little bit more kind of the recognition of, I want to answer the question like this. But I know for you to do your job, what you need from me is another sentence or two so that mm-hmm. you can print something. Well, Brent uh, asked Barry Trammell, remember, about the, the defensive yeah, um, installing the, the defense instead of some kind of hybrid that better fit the existing personnel. And his response was, what what would be the alternative? What choice did we have? You know, he, he hasn't. And then to me, of course, was the, I said that, are you sure I said that? You're not putting words in my mouth. I actually said those words. Yeah, you actually did. And then roof, um, you know, same thing. His, the reference, the question you referenced earlier, Ryan was an answer. The answer, I guess you referenced earlier was an answer to my question. Uh, And he said, Hey, yeah, yeah, no, it was about communication from the booth to the coaches on the sideline wearing the blue shirts and the blue hats doing all the signaling to coat to Brent Venables doing his extra you know signals at the at the last second. I asked about the mechanics of getting the play in because at some point there's a breakdown in communication when the other team's going 70 yards for a touchdown and there's nobody within 20 yards of them. I said that's probably a breakdown and he said I know what plays you're talking about. We don't have any plays. We don't have any defensive calls where we let the guy go by 20 yards. So yeah. you're right. They're agitated by losing. They're probably losing sleep. They're probably, you know, here in the social media and the sports talk radio and all that stuff. And they're probably getting f- some feedback from their players. And who knows what's going on in the in the staff room, right? And then they show up to the press conference and here's a bunch of jerks like us asking these questions <laughs> like, how dare you question me? How dare you question our methodology? You don't, you're not a football coach. At least they're not going the Mike Stoops route where he says, well, you guys are just regular people. You have no idea. That was one of the all-time jerk answers. It's a pretty good one. Pretty good one. Uh, who and Mike Stoops? Rivalry as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> the whole Stoops family, apparently, but especially Mike. Uh, Why you got to lump Drake in there? Drake doesn't have any problem with me. <laughs> that you know of. That I know of. That's true. <laughs> well, we were talking about uh, your friend, the, the legendary Isaac Stoops-John Hoover rivalry. <laughs> no. Carol. All of them. Um <laughs> Yeah, Brent, you know, Brent especially, you know, he, he definitely had a bit of an edge, a spice to him that he hasn't had. Um, we haven't even mentioned, you know, the fact that, you know, he was talking about, first off, he, you know, he talked about this week's game and having that extra edge for the OU Techs game. And he, he said, I don't really look at it that way. You know, I, you should be excited to play every week. So that's not his approach. So we, we got to peek behind the curtain there, or at least in terms of his approach to quote unquote big games. That's not what he preaches. He wants it to be the same every week. No getting up for OU Texas. And he did the same thing, you know, kind of in a roundabout way after the Nebraska game where he was asked about that being a statement win. And he was like, no, just a win. Doesn't matter that it's Nebraska. Doesn't matter that we won by a million on the road. Just another win. Flush it onto the next one. 
that's kind of his approach, a very regimented, we do the same thing every week. Results don't dictate what we do, our approach, the opponent. That's how Brent Venables goes week to week. Now, that may work down the road. Right now, you know, three and two, he lost a couple games in a row. We'll see if that changes at all going in the future. And then he also, I mean, we haven't talked about the fact he was referencing last year's OU Tech's game. He talked about all the one-score games. He talked about the act of God it took to beat Kansas last year, where it's almost like he's making the point in, you know, in other in so many words of, hey, just so you realize, they could have lost a lot more games last year. It's the the the, the difference in winning and losing, the margin is is small. It's not as big as it seems. You know, easily could have lost more games last year. So far this year, you know, we can button us with things and maybe win more, you know. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, Brent Brent was different on Sat on uh, Tuesday than, than he typically is. That was obvious. Get a little bit of fighter out of him. I, that's what I kind of texted you guys. There was we had a conversation after the the Tuesday press conference last week, right? Ahead of TCU of this is not good body language, all that stuff, right? Um, and I, I think I texted you, Josh, right after, like in the press conference, Brent kind of makes his act of God. That was funny. Kansas comment, which was just hilarious, first off. But I think I texted you, it's like, it, at least you've got Brent projecting that he's fighting right now because what, whatever he is behind closed doors at practice, the players also see the stuff from the midweek and all that stuff that they're just like us. They live on social media, all that stuff. It's like, if nothing else, at least you got Brent projecting this fighter mentality this week as opposed to just the kind of, Ugh, it, it's tired, we're going to fix it, I've got no answers from last week. Yeah, I, I took that, Ryan, probably like a lot of things, I guess, differently than a lot of other people did when he said the act of God against Kansas, right? Um, he's talking about Caleb Williams reaching in, grabbing that football from Kennedy Brooks and getting a first down that helped preserve the game. He mentioned uh, six. Texas was one of six games that they won on the last possession or within one possession. A lot of people took that as a shot to Lincoln Riley. It might have been, but I think it was more directed at the fan base that, yeah, that team, he was reminding the fan base, I think. Yeah, that team won 11 games last year, but they nearly lost six others. Um to, in addition to the ones they did lose. So I think he's probably just reminding people y'all uh, may be spoiled a little bit as a fan base. And uh, <laughs> that's not necessarily the best thing to be when you're introducing a new coaching staff that's trying to introduce a new culture yeah. and frankly rebuild what's uh, what was, what was beginning to crumble a little bit last, last, uh, last year. We talked about this, I think in the post game, um, how many all big 12 players did Oklahoma have on the preseason team this year? One, and it was the punter. So are we surprised that five defensive guys go give up their final year of eligibility and go to the NFL and the defense isn't any good? I don't think we should be surprised. So maybe not to the level that we saw Saturday, but certainly right. um, this shouldn't be that unexpected. And they're trying to learn a new system and they have a new coaching staff. You know, it's, it's just a, a bad time for all those things to come together. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, you know, I think we said that after the game on Saturday of, you know, you have to give Brett Venables time. You, you, if you're OU fan, that's ready to call it on him. It, that's ridiculous. You know, he needs more time, but the, at the same time, 
you shouldn't lose by 30 TCU. That should never happen. Right. So both those things can be true in terms right. of needs a little more time to get to change. You're talking about a guy changing a culture and completely overhauling a roster that takes, you know, a little bit of time. Uh, it, you know, it, it does. So we'll see how that looks. Final thoughts in this game before we close the book on it and uh, head to head down to Dallas on Saturday. Uh, There's, by the way, yeah. no comparisons to Bob Stoops in 99. There's no comparison. Right. He's totally was, was six years in a row, I think, five years in a row without a without a winning record. Three years in a row was the worst three-year stretch in school history. Uh, Bob came in and, and coached his butt off and, and hired a great staff that coached their butts off uh, and did a good job in that first, co- first class of recruiting. But he took John Blake's players and said, guys, you are not losers. You are winners. And they won seven games. And People look back now and say, yeah, but they only won seven games in Bob Stoops' first year. That was a freaking miracle that they won seven games. So, no, you're being an idiot if you're um, revising history like that. Yeah, it's not the end-all, be-all, but the red flags are there. Red flags are there. For sure. For sure. Could be interesting. See what happens on Saturday. The next uh, installment could be the first, what was it, who? First three-game losing streak since since 98? 98. Dang. Well, pretty big underdogs. On the flip side, if little OU Texas magic happens in this thing, right? Suddenly you're looking up and OU is back to four and two, hosting a Kansas team coming in. If you can get another win, go into the bye week, get your quarterback healthy. And also they'll have rid a five game winning streak against Texas. Like that, it's a it's a four game streak on the line right now. Uh you tell me that Brent Vindles wouldn't be able to love to go to all those recruits and just be like, oh, by the way. We were at like rock bottom and still beat the crap out of Texas physically and, and got a win on the scoreboard. It's going to be interesting. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys saw it all. And I didn't, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I just saw a couple of clips. But his coach's show on Monday, Brent talked about not wanting pity, not wanting, you know, to be looked at as poor Oklahoma. Look, at, look how rough they have it. And he <laughs> promised that they were going to – I don't know. Did he say give them hell on Saturday? Something, something like that on uh, – on Saturday in Dallas. So we'll see. I mean, the tenor of the early part of the Brent Venables era is going to take a big swing on Saturday one way or another. Cause even if they come out there and play hard and battle and keep this thing close, I think that's a net win for him in the public eye. If they get crushed again, it's not going to be pretty. So we'll see. going to be fun. Always is. But especially the fact that the two teams both have two lost already and whoever loses is going to be in straight disaster mode almost makes it more fun. It's going to be chaos on Saturday, and I can't wait. All right, we'll take another timeout. We'll come back. Some other things to button up. A um, little recruiting update, and we'll look around the Big 12 this weekend. Some more big games as the conference starts to take shape. All that good stuff uh, coming up next on the All Sooners podcast. Tickets for the Red River Showdown are going quick, so get yours now at TicketIQ.com. Zero checkout fees plus an additional $10 off with my code Sooners. This is for in-app purchases only, so head over to the Ticket IQ app and download today. Right now, tickets are starting at $233 for the game in Dallas, but if you'd like to sit by the field, Section 27, Row 12 is the Ticket IQ seat of the week. That's two tickets for $438 each to sit in the lower level sideline right by the action. But no matter where you sit, it's sure to be a good one. Head on over to Ticket IQ now if you don't want to miss the Red River Showdown. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 148, on this Wednesday, October 5th. 
get through some last few things here. We're sending you on your way into your OU Texas weekend. I'm sure everybody's still heading down there. Um, is the best. Excited for Saturday. We'll have tons of coverage for you from the Cotton Bowl, from the fair on Saturday in Dallas. It's going to be a fun one, as it always is. Get this one thing to start with the recruiting update. So we, we did the show last week, and David Hicks, the number one defensive lineman in the 23 class, was committing Wednesday afternoon. We talked about that on the show. The timing wasn't great for us. We kind of just kept things broad, and he surprised a lot of people and committed to Texas A&M. Um, who you nailed it. You said that you felt like he was going to kind of spurn OU and go A&M, which mo- I mean, he was still favored OU. It was it was surprising that he put on the Aggie hat for most. Um, big loss for OU, obviously. I think most people think it, you know, and NILs played a very big part in that, um, losing that that one. But what a, what a tough loss for Oklahoma because you felt like you were in the driver's seat to get this, like we said last week, potentially program-altering recruit. You know, you felt like you were in good shape for months. And then AM swoops in and you hate to say steals him because that, that sounds bad. But, you know, last second, it almost feels like swiped him. Uh, tough, tough loss there for Oklahoma last week. It was uh, apparently because he's a guy that can change. He's a, a guy with that kind of talent that can change the culture of the program uh, by establishing, you know, you're moving off to the SEC. So you're establishing what a, a defensive lineman mentality, the kind of, the kind of team that Clemson looked like Clemson wasn't, isn't an SEC team. They play in the ACC, but they kind of portray themselves as an SEC type team. They're in that region of the country. They recruit against the SEC and they land those guys and they win national championships. Hey, imagine that. So yeah, he's one of those guys that Brent Venables identified, Todd Bates identified. We got to have this dude. And it didn't work out because uh, apparently he woke up that morning wanting to go to Oklahoma and was convinced he was going to Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know all the inside stories, but I know, again, what I see, body language, facial expressions. He and his mom were portraying one thing and his dad was portraying something completely different. Maybe his dad was leaning toward A&M. Maybe his mom was leaning toward OU. And But if you just look at, at David's face, Hicks's face, I mean... He looked like he was not all that thrilled to uh, to have revealed that he's going to AM. and um, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll pitch it to Ryan here before I move on with my point that um, Oklahoma's recruitment, believe it or not, is not is not quite over of David Hicks. Yeah, no, I mean, anytime you – it's the exact same conversation we had with Anthony Evans, right? Okay, so congrats. If you, you get a commitment day flip, that's not the end all be all that, that that's not the end of that story whatsoever. And you better believe that um, Oklahoma, I'm sure with the way that things went, they'll sit back, take a week maybe and take a deep breath and go, Oh God, Oh God. And then that group will get right back at it. Cause like you mentioned, it, they've got, and here's the thing for Oklahoma fans. We kind of talked about it. if it went the AM way, okay, you've still got, uh, PGA DeVore, you've still got Colton Vasek, you've still got Derek LeBlanc. Like, this is not last year where Gabriel Brownlow Dindy isn't coming, and all of a sudden you're like, well, uh oh, there's not a lot of quality depth there recruiting wise. But having all those guys plus a Hicks really alters what, what your ceiling can be. So, uh, it, it's not all sunshines, rainbows, and unicorns in College Station either, right? Yeah. David Hicks was on hand to see Appalachian State whoop. <laughs> A&M physically, right? And so uh, a loss against Kansas State, a loss against TCU, 
Don't think that'll do much if if seeing Texas A&M drop it to Appalachian State didn't you know alter that decision. So uh, uh, this thing should be something to watch uh, across the finish line again, especially with uh, all the chaos in College Station. Yeah, and A&M it didn't it didn't go much better for them. A&M had about a similar weekend as OU on Saturday as uh, Mississippi State uh, punched them in the mouth a little bit there. So yeah, I don't think it's over necessarily. Um, Tough loss for Oklahoma, obviously, um, but still time. Signing day still a couple months away. Never know how thing, these things shake out. Oklahoma's certainly been on the wrong end of some, you know, commits that decommit and flip um, in in recent years. No reason to think you couldn't go the other way with it. They're still working on Peyton Bowen, of course, who's been a Notre Dame commit for forever. So you never know. Still some time before signing day. Maybe things will change. Another guy Oklahoma's chasing in the twenty four class, David Stone. He's the number two defensive lineman in that uh, class twenty four. Originally from Dell City, moved to, to Florida. Bradenton, Florida is where he's at now, IMG Academy. Who, you got an interview with him that's going to be on allsters.com. Why don't you give people a little sneak preview of that? Yeah, coming up tomorrow, we're going to get that uh, get that story posted. Uh, talked to David Stone uh, over the weekend last week. And, uh, you know, just asked some questions, obviously, about David Hicks. He had some things to say. He said he was uh, surprised. He was caught off guard. He really wanted to play with him. Uh, at the next level, he said, and uh, he really, everything that he heard was that he was coming to Oklahoma. He was convinced that he was going to be a Sooner. Uh, Keep in mind, David Hicks, I'm sorry, David Stone still hasn't committed to anybody yet. He's a 24, but uh, uh, there's a lot of crystal balls and there's a lot of forecasts and all that good stuff about him coming to Oklahoma. There's a presumption that he's going to come to Oklahoma. He told me he's been an OU fan all his life. His dad used to make him watch the games. He didn't want to watch the games, but then he started playing and he understood what it was about. And he's been following Oklahoma football ever since then. Uh, so we'll have a story on that tomorrow, including his reaction to David Hicks, what he's going to do about recruiting David Hicks. If he does go to Oklahoma, what he what he decides to do in terms of uh, recruiting David Hicks. Now, keep in mind, David Stone, the 24, from Dell City via IMG, um, he is, uh, he's not committed, as I said, but he is also being considered, he's being recruited heavily and is considering Texas A&M. So he hasn't ruled out A&M. He said he wanted to play with Hicks at the next level. Well, guess what? Hicks has said he's playing at A&M. So could get interesting. I had a good conversation with him, found out a lot that I didn't know. So we'll have that tomorrow at allsooners.com. Yeah. Stone, somebody that I was out at Dell city and Booker T at the very, it was like week one or week two last year. And I was obviously out there trying to get a look at Gentry Williams and Micah T's just as that, that was kind of the Gentry Williams specifically was, was the current class coming up and, uh, Gentry was still working his way back from injury, so he wasn't anywhere close to 100%. But Davidson was still by far the best player on the field with a Micah Tease, with a Gentry Williams. And it like it, it wasn't close. It wasn't close. So uh, interested to see what, what he kind of looks like after getting that year um, this year to, to challenge himself against just, frankly, more talented people every day when you go and play at a spot like IMG. Hey, real quick, uh, David Stone tweeted – uh, minutes after David Hicks committed to Texas A&M, he tweeted, do not make the assumption that I can be bought uh, and NIL was not going to drive his decision. He told me what he meant by that. He expressed uh, a little bit more and kind of elaborated on his thoughts on what, on NIL and what's, what's going to be important to him in his recruiting. And it's not NIL. Uh, can't wait to uh, share that with you guys, allsooners.com tomorrow. Yeah, that'll be good stuff for sure. A uh, guy Oklahoma's chasing, Oklahoma kid, obviously, like uh, like we were saying. So 
it, it, it surprised me too for these guys like David Hicks, like David Stone, guys who, and it's it's far from a given, far. Um, but you're hoping to make it the NFL, right? Short term monetary gain and NIL, as opposed to what gets you in a better shape for NFL, I would think that's an easy choice. Not to say that AM couldn't be a better spot for Hicks in that area. But if that is really what was the deciding factor, that surprises me. That's very short sighted to me. But we'll see. And I'm not saying that's the factor. I don't I don't know David Hicks. But um if that's the case. So what David Stone's approach in that tweet, that makes more sense to me. So we'll see uh, how that shakes out. Should be good stuff with who and Mr. Stone tomorrow. This one, I never got to see him play at Dell City. He also was a really good basketball player at Dell City, too. Um, just monster all around. One of those just freaks uh, in every capacity in a good way. Um, so looking around the Big 12 this weekend, uh, obviously OU Texas. It's funny that OU Texas is the only game that doesn't have a ranked team in it in the entire Big 12 this, this yeah. weekend. Go figure. Uh, Bob Bowlesby slash, what's the new guy's name? I, I blank on the new guy's Your name. Mark. Your mark are dancing um, with, with this weekend, and Sankey's wondering what the heck. So the big one this week, if you want to call it, I mean, I guess it's the big one, TCU and Kansas. Both are undefeated. Top 20 teams. College game day is going there, but the game's still at 11 o'clock on FS1, which is hilarious to me. That college game day is not streaming. Game. It's not streaming. You can watch it on regular TV, but FS1, for that's got to be a first. No way college game has ever gone to a game that's on FS1 before. No way. So that's where they'll be this weekend. Tech is in Stillwater, and the Wildcats, Kansas State, are in Ames. Uh, Baylor has the weekend off as well as West Virginia. Um, this conference is weird um, because, I, like I mentioned earlier, the four teams that are ranked don't include OU, Baylor, or, um, or Texas, which is just very upside down. But are all eyes on TCU Kansas for you guys? Or are you guys kind of eyeballing the other ones a little bit? Yeah, it's TCU Kansas. Uh, FS1, by the way, OU Texas is on ABC. FS1 is the second most visible pro- um, um, property this week. The other game, Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, is on FS1. And then K State, Iowa State, that's over on ESPNU. So FS1 getting some good run in the Big 12 this week with uh, TCU and Kansas. And that's why the dollars are elsewhere, which is why the money programs will be <laughs> elsewhere here in a couple of years. That's something your mark's going to have to work on. Uh, yeah, I mean, all eyes, I guess, are on uh, TCU in Kansas as uh, my boys, my Jayhawks out there. We, we did it, guys. We've done it. We've gotten college game day football to Lawrence to hashtag pack the booth. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what Texas or not, excuse me, what Kansas Jayhawk legend has to introduce themselves in the hype video so everyone knows who they are. That will be a ton of fun this week as well. Shout out to Todd Reese. And uh, no, but but that one's the one because TCU, if they go into to Lawrence, all of a sudden they're what five and zero with uh, a couple of wins over uh, Oklahoma and Kansas, and you're going okay. Year one, Sunny Dykes. They've got they've got the skill position talent right. Uh, what you didn't know is what that defense was going to look like in year one and what that offensive line is going to look like. If they can go and get that, then suddenly that that's another team that you have to cautiously, you know, keep one eye on as far as who's going to be playing in Arlington. Hey, Ryan, if K1, Kyler Murray, has to introduce himself on the Arizona Cardinals video, hey, Sooner fans, Kyler Murray here, then Todd Reesing can introduce himself on the KU videos. I guess. It's just uh, sure, yeah. it's a tough look all around. Just, again, guys – it's video it's PSA for everyone. 
lower third, just put their name. <laughs> don't make don't make them say it. Just put their name. It's not necessary. Looks better yeah. all around. You guys surprised that Kansas is a seven point home underdog? No. TCU? No. Um Better's not buying who, Vegas is not buying Kansas yet. Well, people who are wagering on the game and people who are setting the lines uh, are waiting for the other shoe to drop. Just like when they set the Oklahoma-Texas line uh, on Sunday or whatever it was, uh, Texas was a one-point favorite. Now they're a seven-point favorite. So that line immediately corrected. Uh, I think you, I think that's normal. I think people are waiting for Kansas to implode because we've been treated to 20 years of Kansas bad Kansas football, or at least 15 years of bad Kansas football. And not just bad, but really, really epically bad Kansas football. There's there's that, which is like the human element of it. And then the other side is uh, there are tons of just very complicated models, stats, all that stuff. Kansas's defense has not been statistically good, right? Yeah. Like yeah. a ton of points to West Virginia. Didn't like just come in and lock down Duke. You know what I mean? Didn't lock down Houston. Uh, Tennessee Tech is not a game that should factor into anyone's factor it, it like anything so really like the iowa state game is the first time we saw okay kansas batting down the hatches and played really good defense and again um just quentin johnson darius davis kendra miller max duggan playing the way that he's playing right now i think everyone takes the tcu offense over the iowa state offense so i think people are still kind of waiting to see yeah. all right you haven't really played an actual explosive offense yet here's tcu is Jalen daniels going to be able to to keep up and not make those mistakes. I think that's kind of a, a natural thing as much as we, we all in our hearts love that uh, Kansas football is ranked in hosting college game day because of what who've said, what Kansas football has been historically. Yeah. And, and, you know, not to rain on the Kansas parade, but I mean, if Iowa state can make a field goal, they very well might lose, uh, you know, last weekend at home to an Iowa state team that we all don't think is particularly great. So We'll see what happens this weekend. It's going to be fun to keep an eye on that. Obviously, the team that you've just played, the team they'll play next when Kansas comes to Norman next Saturday. It's going to be fun. Yeah, the TV designations. Look, you wonder why OU Texas are going to the SEC. Look no further than the TV designations this weekend. OU Texas on ABC, FS1, FS1, ESPNU for the other three. When OU Texas, again, is the only one with unranked teams in it. Kind of, kind of crazy. That shows you where those brands are uh, relative to the rest of the league. Elsewhere, in the NFL, the Panthers are bad. The Panthers are really bad. Baker is in a tough spot. Kyler Murray beats Baker Mayfield on Saturday for the third time. So Kyler's now 3-0 and against Baker in the NFL. Cardinals aren't great, but they still cruise by the Panthers. Meanwhile, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles still undefeated. It's unbelievable. We talked about that a lot last week. What an unbelievable start for him. They win another one in what was just like a, a torrential downpour there in Philadelphia. Elsewhere, Ramondre Stevenson is having a really nice year with the Patriots. Trey Norwood has done some nice things with the Steelers. What are some early things that you guys have uh, caught your eye, I guess, in the other part of the year for Sooners at the next level here? What do you mean the Cardinals aren't good? They're sh- they're in a tie for first place. They aren't good. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're good. two and two, and everybody in that division is two and two. I know because I'm a Rams fan and I suffered through that Monday night trash. Uh, yikes. Um, yeah. Boy, you're right about Baker. Baker's in a tough spot. It's, uh, it stinks. Yeah. It's not getting any easier either because his his head coach is getting ready to be fired and probably take a, the the first college job he can get out of town on. Um, the the offense isn't getting any better. The defense isn't particularly good. Uh, but here's the deal: put the game in Baker's hands late in the game, and he's come up short 
uh, I want to say two times this year, he's come up short, had, had opportunities to generate, um, you know, late touchdown drives or late scoring drives. And I think he's missed fired on a couple of, a couple of easy throws. a la Dylan Gabriel almost, uh, guys are open or he's not seeing them or he's not reading them or he's not hitting them with the pass. It's tough situation. And, uh, especially when you're having to go up against the guy who was your backup, (laughs) <laughs> and everybody is in agreement that he's better than you were. That's a tough situation for Baker to swallow. And then Jalen Hurts comes in, and he's the one that's not even supposed to be here in the NFL. Look at how good he's doing. Uh, he, he actually has playmakers around him. He actually has a really good defense behind him. So that's that's been an impressive turnaround. But still, I was watching uh, first take this morning or get up or whatever it was, and um, it was on in the background, and they were scrolling across the bottom. Who's your – week four MVP candidate and Jalen Hurts was getting a lot of votes. So he's congrats yeah, to him. Yeah. Rebound. He rebounded from a really bad pick six too, to have a, a good performance uh, in the rain there for Philly. So it's not just been like, Hey, sunshine, unicorn. Like he, he's had to respond to a little bit of adversity and he's done that. Well, uh, guys, Baker's been really bad. Like I, yes. for four weeks, like the, it's not all his fault. Carolina's really bad. Baker's been awful. He he has one of the worst passer ratings in the league. He Thirty-two. Was, he was laughably bad in the first half against the Browns. Now he picked himself up, and they probably should have won that game had the Browns not been helped by a pass interference or a ref in the passer uh, on that last drive. He was really bad in week two. Like it's okay to say Baker's been really bad. He's in a bad situation, and he's not making it any better at all. It was so bad yeah. that Matt Rule led off his post-game press conference and then doubled down again in the weekly press conference that Sam Darnold is still hurt and so there will be no change at quarterback. Like, it's okay to say it, guys. Baker's been really bad and he may be looking for a backup job next year because he's done nothing, nothing to make any GM think, well, the offensive line stinks, he doesn't have skill position and and there's nothing else Baker can do because he's just missing throws. We thought Baker was better than this. And let me ask you guys this. I brought this up on my radio show. We thought uh, Dylan Gabriel was better than what he's playing right now. Now, Concussion not included, of course. Um, Is there something to be said about walking into a a new system, a new offense, a new new players, new personnel around you, and not being really sure of yourself? And Because Baker's an extremely accurate quarterback. All we've seen out of Dylan Gabriel is – very good accuracy rate, and we're seeing the, both those guys miss wide receipt, wide open receivers. Like what? Like my you know twenty one year old son who hasn't thrown a football in two years could probably throw that ball better than what Baker or Dylan. Did. You know what I'm saying? So where does that come from? And the fact that they're both new guys in a new system on a new team makes you wonder if there's like this adjustment period that they're just not comfortable yet. Yeah, it'll be interesting, especially with some of the like mechanical issues that Gabriel's had, right? Like even that, I think that shows you that it plays into you're not sure of what you're doing or you're feeling a different pressure for the first time. I think for Gabriel, he's not said it, but when you have a bad game at UCF, UCF is the largest undergraduate, right, in the country or one of them, but they're not Oklahoma football fans, right? You have one bad game at Oklahoma. And you have the weight of all of social media on your shoulders. And I think it was blatantly obvious that that's a guy that was pressing. And we know that Baker has been in situations where he has pressed before. Um, and, and, and it almost took like a lot of those losses uh, that, that Lincoln Riley and Baker Mayfield had 
together as the OC and quarterback were like, hey, Baker, you tried to play hero ball and stopped running the offense, right? Uh, you think about Houston specifically, the Ohio State game. That was like quintessential, you put the offense in bad spots because you didn't just take the dump offs that were there because you wanted to be the hero. You can't do that at the NFL, and you can't do that when you've got inferior talent around you than what you're seeing with most defenses. Yeah, no, I wonder with Baker where the confidence level is. I mean, we we know that he's somebody who plays with a lot of confidence normally. That's when he's at his best. And you got to, after being cast aside, nobody, and then having a hard time finding another team. And then whenever we said, when we all said at the time, that's not, that's probably not going to work, you know, the Panthers, because it's just, they don't have a lot there. Matt Rule's going to get fired, like Hoof said. Not a good situation. And he's not off to a good start. He lost to the Browns in week one without Watson. I mean, it's not like they even had, they had Bursette. I mean, it's tough. I mean, the Falcons beat Jacoby Brissett and the Browns on Sunday. That kind of lets you know on that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not good for for Bake. Um, and I, I agree with Ronnie. You probably you you ride out this year as best you can. Probably a backup uh, moving forward. Maybe get another shot at some point, and you make the most of it. But I think the reality for OU fans is setting it a little bit that he's just an okay quarterback. He's not going to be an NFL Super Bowl Super Bowl guy. And they had that opportunity with the Browns. It was there. Had that one year. They were in the second round. Had a shot. Didn't capitalize. And now here we are. So kind of tough, tough deal uh, for Baker all around there. And Kyler, 3-0. and That's going to be tough. You don't want to be 0-3 to, to Kyler. The guy, who, like who said, was your backup and was behind you, younger than you. That's an ouchie uh, for Baker there, for, for Kyler to be 3-0 and against him. So we'll see what happens this weekend uh, for all those guys. Great start for Jalen. Uh, unbelievable uh, stuff there. So... That's it for us, I think. A uh, good show. I powered through. I'm running out of steam a little bit, but we're we're all right. We're making through. Gonna be fun on Saturday. Always is. Uh, as good as the game gets, as good as cultural well gets. Oklahoma and Texas. Allsooners.com will have loads there for you. Previewing this game, leading up to it. Then of course, all day Saturday from the fair from Dallas. Gonna be fun at the Cotton Bowl. Always is. OU and Texas. So thank you so much for listening. Catch our post game show which we recorded certified fresh at the Cotton Bowl after the game. You can listen to that one, all the podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon able device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. I'll post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, you can watch all the podcasts on Hoover's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it for now. We'll see you Saturday from Dallas for Ryan Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.